0: a seat, and as you grab a seat, grab a Bible, and get with me to Philippians chapter 3. If you need a Bible under a seat nearby, you'll find a black Bible under one of those chairs, grab it, find this book in the New Testament uh, called Philippians, and get with us to chapter 3 this morning. And while you're turning there, let me ask you a question I expect uh, a lot of you to to raise a hand to. How many of you have ever been through a job interview? Been through a job interview? Okay, before an interview, maybe a couple days before, a week before, or you might bring something with you. It's kind of like one sheet of paper or maybe front and back or just the front. Uh, what, what's that called that you bring with you to a job interview? It's a resume. Uh, so a resume, we kind of are familiar with this, highlights uh, where you've been in your career, where you've worked, the positions you've held. It might also highlight some uh, things outside of your career, the, some, some organizations you've been part of that you think might help uh, uh, land this job that you're applying for. Um, a resume, a resume is a very important tool professionally. A, a moral resume, a religious resume can be a very dangerous tool spiritually. What in the world am I talking about, a moral resume or a religious resume? I'm, I'm talking about living with a running tally in our heads of all of the good things that we do um, for the purpose of making ourselves feel better, or, or for the purpose of impressing others, or for the purpose of going, hey God, look at this, we're right? Right? Do you you see all the things that I'm doing? Uh, God, have I showed you lately kind of the spiritual resume that I'm building? Uh, A resume is something very important professionally and very dangerous spiritually. Um, The Apostle Paul, when he gets to uh, Philippians chapter 3, he's going to now lay out a really, really strong warning for these Jesus followers in the city of Philippi. And the warning is going to surround um, a a group of people that they're supposed to watch out for. He's going to tell them in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter three that we're going to study today. He's going to go, "I, I I need you all to watch out for some people. And now when we hear that, we typically assume that who Paul is going to tell us to watch out for are these like super wicked, like morally detestable, like just awful human beings, right? Right? Wrong. The warning he's going to lay out for the people to watch out for in the first paragraph of Philippians chapter 3 are really, really good moral Upright people that in their very goodness bring a deeply destructive message that assaults the gospel. He goes, Watch out for the people that are going to show up on the scene and go, Hey, 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 hey. Yeah, I know you guys are into this whole Jesus thing, but uh, let's see your spiritual resume. Like you think just Jesus is going to get you there? Paul's got some strong warnings about people like this. Um, This warning in the middle of the first century AD that Paul's going to give to Jesus' followers in a city called Philippi, I believe needs to be an equally strong warning to the people on the south side of Indianapolis in the 21st century. Why do I say that? I think Tim Keller says it best in his book, Prodigal God. He says, some of us rebel against God by being exceptionally bad. Some of us rebel against God by being exceptionally good. What in the world is he talking about? I thought being a Christian was all about being good. No, some of us here today are really, really good people. Like, you're just a genuinely good guy. You're a genuinely good woman. Like, you, all the way growing up, you just, you could have been picked out as just like the model student, the model player, the model part of the, the, the club, even in your workplace today. Like, when people think about you, it's just like, you're, you're just a model employee. Now, that's a good thing. That's a good thing so long as we're not believing that that is what's making us right with God. Some of us in here today, it's our very moral goodness that's the highest hurdle keeping us from our deep, deep need, keeping us from seeing our deep, deep need for a Savior. And so, for fear of overstatement, I think this passage today for our culture and our context and our season of history, I think, could be one of the most important passages for us. Because while many of us in here will intellectually believe and theologically agree with the gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone, I fear that we may actually live and practice this belief that we have to be building a good spiritual resume alongside of it. And we're going to see what Paul has to say about a gospel like that today. Pray with me, Father. Lord, sometimes we um, we can believe something theologically and yet live out something practically very different. God, I I beg you right now for any soul in here that is so worn out from trying to live a resume a resume, a self-righteous resume-building faith, God, would you please deliver them from that here today? Would you unveil the simple gospel before us? Lord, I, I realize people every week probably feel like we preach the same thing, just this gospel. And, and Lord, um, you tell us if we'll just hold up you, you'll draw them into yourself. And God, I know us because I know me that I often feel this need to present before you my spiritual goodness separate from just accepting the spiritual goodness of Jesus on my behalf. I'm a, God, I, I pray right now, if your spirit doesn't open up blind eyes, if it doesn't unveil hard hearts here today, nothing's going to happen. And so I beg of you to use your word deeply, deeply, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul starts like any good pastor, and he says, finally, and then look how much he has left to say, right? And lastly, oh, here he goes. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. How often have we seen that word Here's the recurring theme throughout the book of Philippians. Rejoice, be glad, have joy, delight, rejoice. Finally, my brothers, they're like, what, Paul, what? Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. What in the world is he saying there? Uh, to write the same things to you is of no trouble to me. And it is safe for you. I have a feeling this message that Paul's about to um, give again to the Philippians is something he's harped on with them before. Uh, it's something that in nearly every letter he writes, he harps on. It's something that he comes back to over and over and over again. I have a feeling what Paul's about to write here, this will not be be reaching the the Philippians' ears for the first time. This is something he has told them and he's told them again and he's gonna tell them again here. Um, Parents, do you have any important uh, messages for your kids that you just kind of keep coming back to? No, 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 no. Don't run in the road. Only at my house? I know, we should be past that one, but there goes my two-year-old. Like, no, 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 road, no. Hey, hey, man, um, look at me, do me a favor. When you get in the car, put the phone away. Don't get it out till you get where you're going. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, no, 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 look at me. Just read another article last week. Put the phone away. Don't pull it out till you get there. Teens, your parents have any recurring messages for you? They keep coming back to you? Wives got any recurring messages for your husbands? Toilet seat down. <laughs> Let me show you. You need a tutorial? We keep coming back to the same well of messages that are really important. Paul says it's no trouble for me to say this to you again, and it's safe for you. Because I love you and because this is good for you, I'm just going to keep reminding you of this warning. What's the warning? Here it is. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, just stop. That sounds like a sick and twisted group of people Paul's talking about, right? That talks about that. That sounds like some just the morally detestable people of society, right? It's actually who are the dogs? Who are the evil doers? Who are the mutilators of the flesh? They're the good, religious. What they what you see called the Judaizers? What, what in the world's the Judaizers? Uh, Judaizers. Paul's warning these Christians. Judaizers are the people who will come into town and they'll come with a message and they might go, yeah, yeah, Jesus is okay. And that's fine and all. Um, but you want to be saved? Jesus isn't enough for that. It's Jesus plus Jesus plus Jesus plus what um, you, you, you want to be saved? It's Jesus. Well, let me see your resume. It's Jesus plus the morally good deeds that you can show me on your resume. You want to be saved? wait, you're not, you're not following the Jewish dietary laws? Oh, my goodness. And you think you're going to be with the Lord one day? It's Jesus plus, like, have you not read the Torah? It's Jesus plus follow the dietary laws. Uh, this whole mutilators of the flesh thing, what's he talking about? I, they Coming to town. Do you, men, you think you're good with the law? You've not been circumcised? You think you're going to go to heaven? It's Jesus plus. And Paul says, these people who will come and who will oppose the simple truth of the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone and bring a gospel of Jesus plus. You want to know what they are? You want to know what they are? What are they? They're dogs. And now I know we kind of get that that's a derogatory comment, but we live in a culture where this is kind of the picture of dogs now. Right? <laughs> we live we live in a culture where you can find higher higher quality dog foods than you get at Taco Bell, right? <laughs> we live in a culture of doggy hotels that rival the Marriott. We get this as derogatory, but the dog thing kind of a you want to know what dogs were like in Paul's day? This is the image of dogs in Paul's day. Nasty scavenger. The first time I went to Africa, we show up at the orphanage and the pack of dogs runs up, and I'm like, oh, sweet. Oh. Covered in ticks and just matted and nasty. Just this, this wild pack of dogs. This is what dog they ran around the towns just scavenging food. They were nasty. He goes, you want to know that they're dogs, they're evildoers, they're those who mutilate the flesh. He goes, You want to hear? You want to hear who the real people of God are? Here it is, verse three. For we are the circumcision. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're like, okay, this just got weird, right? What in the world is this? We'll get to it. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Remember, the Judaizers are people who came to town and they went, you want salvation? You got to do all these external things to get it. Um, um, uh, Old Testament times, uh, what you see kind of in the Hebrew Bible, you see God make a covenant with his people. And part of, part of the, the covenant deal with God was uh, the men of his people would be physically circumcised as a way that kind of set them apart as the people of God. And now, um, if you're like, what is circumcision? Our elders have volunteered to explain that after the service for you. Uh, and so you can see them for that. Um, but it was a f- external physical Um, attribute that set aside the men of God. Now, understand when Paul says we are the circumcision, what he's saying. You want to know who the real people of God are? I'll tell you who the people of God are. We are the people of God. Who? Who, Paul? Who are the people of God? Who worship by the Spirit of God? What's he saying? It's always been about an internal thing, not an external thing. This is the nail we've been driving since this church opened its doors. God's always been about his people, his children, following out of a relationship from the heart, not rule keeping from the flesh. It's the message we need today just as much as they needed back then. The the external rule keeping looks different than it did in the Philippian church, but there's still external rule keeping happening here and God's just like, I just want your heart. I know once I have your heart, I'll have everything else. I just want your heart. We are the people of God who worship by the spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't he awesome? And then look at how he finishes out verse three and put no confidence in what? And put no confidence in what? Not, no confidence in the flesh. He goes, these guys are going to show up into town and they're going to go, yeah, yeah, Jesus is all right and everything, but you got to have some stuff you've done. you got to have a good resume. You need to show up to the Lord and go, Lord, here's my resume. And God will whip out his his bifocals and he'll look down. God doesn't need bifocals, but if he did, he'll he'll read through it and then he'll, he'll, he'll decide whether we get in. That's the message these people are bringing. And he's like, that's not the people of God at all. We put no confidence in the flesh. Can we all relate to this? When we think we are finally standing in an area of habitual sin struggle in our life, when we think we, I got it. Victory. I've done it. Next day, what? We put no confidence in the flesh. No, I love what Paul does next. He says, these guys want to talk about resumes? Let's talk resume. Verse four. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, what's it say? Blameless. Paul goes, (laughs) these guys want to talk resume? Let's talk resume. Paul's resume, I came from the right religious family line. Let, let's, talk, let's talk resume of the family I came from. Um, circumcised on the eighth day means Paul was born into a Jewish home, A customary that on the eighth day, the Jewish boy would be circumcised to adhere to their religion. Um, I, I, I'm an Israelite. I'm an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. He knows the tribe he descends from. And then he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He goes, I came from the right family line. Uh, Paul says, I was, I've always been a part of the right religious groups. He goes, as to zeal, a Pharisee. Like the Pharisees were fanatical legalists. They followed things externally to the T. Like they'd be fasting like two times a week. The Phar—he's like, you want to talk about being a part of the right religious groups? Um, As to zeal a Pharisee. And then he's like, um, 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 as to the law. Last word of verse six, what was it? Blameless. What? Something like 613 laws in the Torah. Paul goes, by the letter of it, by the letter of it, by the external letter of it, blameless. Blameless. He goes, you want to talk resume? You want to talk self-righteous spiritual resume? He's like, I am the poster child of self-righteous, build-your-own-righteousness spiritual resume. I just want to stop right here before we move on. I want to step out of Paul's resume and I want to step into our resume this isn't true for all of us in here. And yet I know it is true for a handful of us in here that we can say like Paul, well, let me say it like this. I often uh, I often, like, will be talking to people and I'll go, hey, tell me, when, when did Jesus become Lord of your life? When did you, uh, by faith, trust him for salvation? And, and they'll go, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home. And now this isn't what always people are saying. Sometimes they'll get around to when Jesus became Lord, but sometimes they don't. And they just go, <coughs> I grew up in a Christian home. <coughs> what they're saying is they're, um, I came from the right religious ministry. Or I came from the right religious family line. Um, hear, hear this now. There are a lot of unbelievable things we can inherit from our parents, including parents who disciple us and bring us up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Um, But you don't inherit your parents' personal faith in Jesus Christ. You're not going to stand before the Lord one day and he'll go, I never knew you. And you're going, you knew my parents? You knew grandma? I know I never knew you. Like if we're building any sort, I'm not knocking, like praise, I came up in one of these homes. Praise God that we grew up in Christian homes. I want my boys to grow up in Christian home. But if we're clinging to the right family line as a way of being right before God, we're missing the simple gospel. Uh, Paul goes on to say, I was a right part of the right religious groups. I also talk to people often. I go, tell me when Jesus Christ became Lord of your life. You go, I always grew up in the church translation, I grew up in the right religious groups. I just, I, I just did. Uh, let me tell you something, I did too. And I grew up in the church, like we were like the churches of churches. What I mean by that, we were a bunch of legalists, okay? Like we were known by everything we did not do and about criticizing everyone else who did all that stuff. Guys, I missed it. I did. I did. I mean, I knew it all intellectually, but the Lord had to take me out of where I grew up and into where his spirit dwells a little heavier, the Hoosier State, right? To Wabash College and for the first time opened my eyes to the simple gospel. So thankful for my family. So thankful for those churches. But I was clinging to them as a religious resume builder, and the Lord was like, no, 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 no. Um, Paul says, I, was, I did the right religious actions. As to the law, I was blameless. Um, uh, some of us are clinging to right religious actions as the way to be right with God. You, know, you grew up, and, and if teachers or coaches or whoever would have picked the good kids out of the group, you would have been picked, and now you're, in a, you're in an, ex, in an, an exemplary employee. And, and man. Like, when people just think about it, they're like, oh, man, what a great guy. What just a great woman. I go back to what Tim Keller said. Some of our rebellions against God are not in that we're exceptionally bad. It's that we are exceptionally good. And when we hear a gospel message of going, you have sinned. You need to repent. You need to turn. You need forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You're like, forgiveness? I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but forget for what? I'm a pretty good guy. Folks, listen, my resume of self-righteousness is really no righteousness at all. Paul is about to lay down the value of everything he has just unpacked here. Let's look at what he says about it as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse seven, but whatever gain, look, 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 look. Whatever gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what's the word? What's the next word? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. You know what that word means? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) As my two-year-old would say it, literally, this is a kind translation in English. To translate it trash or rubbish or garbage is kind. Kind. In the words of my two-year-old, what Paul really says here is, it's poo-poo. He goes, listen, I was living for this. I'm walking down the road one day, and I meet Jesus. Jesus meets me. And after that, you know what all this is worth? It's garbage. It is garbage. All of that is loss. It's all trash compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, pull out here. Zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. We have to see the big picture of what Paul's doing in this paragraph. He has just spent this section tearing down any sort of self-righteousness, self-made righteousness, uh, making ourselves right before God. He has totally just torn that down to the ground. He's leveled it. It's all rubble on the ground. He's taken the bulldozer. He has cleared the ground so that now he can build on that. Where does true righteousness come from? You ready for that? You ready for that? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Hear that, hear that. Hear that decade-long church attender. Hear that you grew up in the right Christian home person. Hear that you grew up in the right Christian church person. Hear that you did all the good things person. You cannot build a righteousness of your own. Be free of that. Let go of it. I know the culture might look and say, you're a really great person. Consider it trash compared to just going, I just want to know Christ. Not, verse nine, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This was a Sunday I wish I owned a Snuggie. So Paul has just spent the first part of the paragraph undoing any sort of self-righteousness. Then he gets down here and he gets into verse 8. Verse nine, he says, uh, verse eight, indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And what's it say? What's house nine star and be what in him and be found in him. I, he goes, I just want to be found in Christ. And then keep reading not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here is true righteousness nothing we can earn, nothing we could put on a resume, resume, nothing we could build, but in faith, when we come to Jesus Christ as Lord, our good Heavenly Father doesn't only take the penalty we deserve for our sin, he wraps us in the righteousness of his Son, so that in a way that I cannot even comprehend in my finite mind, when my Heavenly Father gazes down on Brock Roger Graham, he does not see me in all my wickedness, he He sees me clothed and covered in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the only righteousness we cling to. That is like when someone's like, show me your resume. We're just like, here it is. That's all I got. Christ. Could you focus if I preached in this the rest of the time? And then he goes on to say at the end, verse 10, because of this, oh, that I may know him. Come on, hunger for him, thirst for him, that I may know him. That word know comes from the Greek word gnosis. It is not an intellectual knowledge of. It is an experiential knowledge of that comes only through participating in. Come on now. Not an intellectual knowledge of. Um, we know about Andrew Luck. Ain't none of us know Andrew Luck. If you do, I want to meet you. Um, we, we know about Tom Hanks. None of us know Tom Hanks. So many people are growing up in our culture knowing about Jesus and thinking they're good with Jesus when they don't know him. Gnosis. That I may know him. In the power of his resurrection, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in us, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, then this is where he gets crazy again on us, and may share His sufferings. If suffering means I get to know and be in fellowship with Jesus more, let me suffer. And then more crazy is coming, becoming like him in his death. If my life... Ending on this earth means I get to fellowship with Jesus in a greater way and then stand beho- before him and know him face to face. Let me die. <laughs> that I may, that by any means possible, don't get confused by this, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's not Paul working to attain, that is, that what's been attained for him through faith in Jesus Christ, that I may experience that. Listen to me if you're brand new to this whole Jesus thing, if you don't know how in the world you walked into a church today, listen to me. If you've, walked, if you've darkened the doors of churches for decades, listen to me. Here's the truth. I can only be right with God through knowing Christ by faith. Any other righteousness that we're trying to build is no righteousness at all. The only righteousness that makes me right with God is this gift of Jesus Christ's righteousness to me and me accepting that gift through faith. And so when, Je- when our loving Heavenly Father looks down, he peers down on someone covered in the very righteousness of his Son. You guys... This is the joy of the gospel life. We can can rest. We can stop our striving to build a great resume. Because this, my resume of self-righteousness, it's what? It's what? It's garbage. My resume of self-righteousness is garbage. I'm only made right with God by knowing Christ through faith. And now, I think this is important to note as we close here. Like, Brock, you kind of harped on the whole, like, me being a good kid and me being a good guy and kind of harped on my family for just being a good Christian family and you kind of harped on the good churches I grew up in. Like, what's up with that? Like, it's everything you just said here today. Are you saying that how we live doesn't matter? Like that, that, what, it's just about knowing Christ and then I can go live however, no, no, no. We just got to get the order right. You don't do good things to get right with God. You do good things when you're already right with God. If you're new to Christianity here or if you're seeking it out and you're trying to figure out, do I want to follow this Jesus? Let me hear this clearly. Christianity is not about doing good things. Like, what? I thought it was, no, no, no. Christianity is about knowing the good one. And once you know him, he's going to rock your world. You will not be the man you once were. You will not be the woman you once were because he comes in and he changes you from the inside out. And your life will start to look like day by day, modeling after the Savior that you follow, Jesus Christ. I'm passionate about this. That the people of Harvest are not just checking the church box on Sunday trying to build a religious resume. I'm passionate about this. That the people of Harvest aren't just doing their spiritual disciplines every day as a way to try to see God. See what I'm doing? I'm passionate that we taste and we know that the truth of the simple gospel is we trade the sin and shame that was all ours in exchange for a righteousness that was all his. And it's the only righteousness we're clinging to to make us right with a good heavenly father. Amen. Father, I come before you now. God, I pray in this room right now that your spirit would not be done with its work just because the message is done. Lord, certainly I pray for those just dipping their toes into the faith for the first time or trying to figure out what this is all about. But Lord, more than that, I pray for the man or the woman who knows so much about you, who grew up in the right families and grew up in the right churches and did the right things and who can't say they're blameless, they know that, but they could say like Paul, like I was the good quote unquote Christian kid. I've been the good Christian guy. But I pray for that person who can say that, and they might not even know you. Lord, my heart is not to let people leave questioning their salvation. But Lord, my heart is that some of us, in our exceptional goodness, our hearts has resisted a message of us needing forgiveness because we've been blind to see. our our heart and the wretchedness of what it really is. We've not known we need a savior. Unveil our need for you, Lord. We might be the most exemplary person in our workplace or on our block, in our family, but Lord, we cannot present a a resume before you that will make us right in your sight other than the one word resume, Christ. So Lord, apply that to hearts as you see fit by the power of your spirit. And as we sing, Lord, we lay down any self-righteousness resume building that's present inside of us. And we only boast about one thing, your righteousness on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.